Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is the 2007 film, The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. So this movie, it takes place in around 1881. And just for those of you who aren't aware jesse james was a very famous outlaw he robbed a number of banks starting from the late 1860s all the way through the 1880s and at this point in his career the most of the original members of his gang the ones where he really made his name are gone and he's getting a lot of these new recruits one of which are charlie and robert ford and the beginning robert ford is completely enamored with Jesse James. As as a kid, he all the dime novels that were written about Jesse James, he's collected everything in all the newspaper clippings and everything he's read so where he knows almost he feels he knows almost everything about Jesse James. And so he's all excited for this job. So they were at the beginning of the film they robbed the blue cut train and it was successful. And then everyone starts to split up, and Robert tries to get closer to Jesse James, and he's all, while he is always getting ribbed by not only his brother, but pretty much everyone else in the gang for being just so enamored with Jesse. Yeah. And Jesse also likes to take in on the ribbing a little bit, and which starts to upset Robert Ford. And then around this time, a couple members of the gang that were involved in the robbery get arrested, and another uh, one member of the game named Dick Little confides in Robert Ford that he is working secretly working with another outlaw to help bring bring in Jesse James to get that reward money. Yes, and but and so and also Dick Little is having an affair with Wood Heights um, much step, stepmom, much younger, much stepmom. younger stepmother. Yes. And the thing is, Wood Height is Jesse James' cousin, and so. Eventually, later on, after they have, they've had a shootout, apparently, but they both escaped. But then um, Wood Height comes into the, uh, the Ford's house, who houses all these outlaws, while um, Dick Little is still there. They get into a shootout, and Robert Ford, who's felt somewhat of a friendship to Dick Little, kills Wood Height. And so now he's sort of... And from there on, he, des- he decides to... Um, help with the authorities to also make him feel like he's a part of Jesse James's gang and he's with him and Dick Little agreed with the Missouri governor um, Thomas Crittenden played by uh, James Carville which, yes. which is a funny little cameo yeah but um they uh they they agree to bring in Jesse James along with his brother Charlie Ford for the reward money uh, Dick Little gets taken in but Charlie and Robert Ford pretend to be um, working with Jesse James because James is working on another robbery, so they live in Jesse James's house for a while. He, Jesse James is becoming more and more paranoid of them, and at this time also Ford, I think, is becoming somewhat disillusioned with Jesse James because he's saying he's just a man. Yeah, and so eventually, eventually gets to the point where James reads in the paper that Dick Little was arrested, and he goes, "Why didn't you know about this?" And then from there, that's when they decide to kill him. He says, doesn't that picture look dusty? He stands up. His back is turned to Robert Ford. Yeah. And that's when Robert Ford kills him. And because he's had this secret meeting with the governor about what he planned to do with Jesse James, he sends a telegram. They don't 
sit show this in the movie, but he was arrested for murder. Yes, and he had, and it took a long time to get the governor because the governor Crittenden was saying, "I didn't, I, or, or, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have any part was, of this." Yeah, right? He, he didn't yeah. want to admit it, but eventually he was able to um, yeah. get off. He was arrested. He was tried. He was convicted, and yeah. then the governor gave him a pardon. Yes. Yeah. And um, and then after that, that's really when the most the I mean the last twenty you think like how is it what's it going to do after they kill Jesse James? It, it gets even more interesting because Ford is now reveling in the fame of being the man who yeah. killed Jesse Ford James. and Charlie Ford and the Fords, yes. Yeah. And everybody like there's been the narration they're claiming that he is now at this point more popular than the president of the United States. Yeah, he tours on the stage in New York, recreating the time he kills yes. Jesse James, and he is completely enamored with the celebrity. But Charlie is more depressed, and eventually he becomes a drug addict and then commits suicide. And he's also writing letters to Z, Jesse James's widow, explaining yeah. how sorry he feels, but he never mails the letters. Yeah. And then, but then after that point, the public starts turning on him. During one of his events, people call him a coward and start throwing stuff at him. And people start, and there's the song called uh, uh, The Ballad of Jesse James, which is sung in a bar. And it's talking how he's a dirty little coward. Yeah. And so then at that point, he starts to feel regret. And at the very end of his life, he moves out to a place in Colorado and 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 starts a bar. And he confides in this dancer woman and telling him how he feels and said at the very end he does feel regret over killing him but at the end he does uh, he gets into another they don't talk about it in the movie but he was somewhat in this conflict with this man named edward o'kelly yeah and edward o'kelly eventually in 1892 came in and killed him and then um because ford was still so hated there were seven thousand people signing the petition to release edward o'kelly and he only served a he got like almost a life in prison yeah but his sentence was severely reduced because of those petitions and they eventually pardoned him yes and so that's how the movie ends and this is definitely on my short list of favorite westerns or maybe just favorite movies because i think it's just everything into the filmmaking about this movie i think is near perfect oh oh the cinematography is outstanding yes um, and the theme is outstanding too. I, I really think it captures well, particularly in the last half of the film, but really through the whole story arc of uh, uh, Bob's, uh, as it were, development. Um, the the interesting interplay between uh, celebrity and history, and it, it in the in the character of Bob you see the kind of the deleterious effects of that. Because if you know the backstory of Jesse James, which I know you, you want to get into a mm-hmm. bit later, uh, he's not a, he's not in any way a, a likable person. Um, engaged in atrocities during the Civil War. Uh, but also uh, during, during his uh, criminal... Uh, career did terrible things now despite that myths grew up around the man uh robin hood myths and you you see that captured in the uh that song that you mentioned that was a really popular song i can give you a little piece of trivia here uh in the television series from the 1960s the beverly hillbillies there is an episode that opens up with 
Jed Clampett singing that song on the steps of their uh, mansion in Beverly Hills. And it, it, it gives this impression that uh, Jesse James was, was kind of a, a hero uh, and a Robin Hood figure. There apparently is little or no uh, evidence that he did anything of the sort with what he took from his robberies. He never stole from the rich to, to give to the poor. No, I mean, the closest thing he ever came to, uh, 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 closest approach he ever made to doing anything like that was he would, quote, redistribute that wealth to his own kin, mm-hmm. his, uh, his own gang and so forth. But there was never this, you know, this, this mythology of him, him, uh, helping the poor with the with the proceedings. No, he was a cold blooded killer. He was out to out out for two things in his career, um, making that money and fame. Yes, right. And and Roberts out for both as well. Yes. <laughs> it's interesting. Yes, and getting into the backstory of Jesse James, if you read his whole life is pretty much violence. As a child, he grew up. In Missouri, he's that's where most of the story takes place. Actually, yep. Missouri was a border state during the Civil War, and like um, Maryland, they even though they were a Southern state, they did not necessarily side with the Confederacy. But uh, the James did have slaves, and they were definitely on the side of um, the slave de- uh, the slavery debate pro Confederacy. And just and you think of the border states, especially during that time, you also think of uh, uh, Kansas, the bloody Kansas. Yes. And speaking of famous other Western figures, uh, Buffalo Bill Cody and Wild Bill Hickok grew up during that time in Kansas, and they were more on the northern side for the Union. But you think of John Brown, you think of, you know, that there was, because it was hotly contested, there was reason why they called it bloody Kansas, because both people on that side of the debate were killing others and yes. causing acts of terrorism to get the vote to their side. Yes. And during one point during the Civil War, because his brother Frank, who was a couple years younger than him, went off to fight, Jesse was still at home during the, the earlier periods of the Civil War, and um, he w- his house was broken into because his brother Frank was fighting for the Confederacy, and they hung his dad, and then they, they supposedly, the Union forces, whipped him or tortured him in some way. And then around somewhere around that point, he joined up with the infamous Southern guerrillas, um, Bloody Bill Anderson and Bill Quantrill. And for those who don't know, they were um, basically terrorists. They would go around finding people who were pro-union during on the border states and burn down houses, kill people. Yes, they did that for many, many years, even after the Civil War. Yeah. So and then around that time, that is when he formed uh, formed up with the Younger Gang, uh, Cole and Bob Younger, and they formed the James Younger Game, and that's really when they were becoming famous and starting committing robberies. And Jesse James had no qualms about killing people. He's they even in the narration in the book they've mentioned that he's laid claim to killing sixteen people. Yeah, and his brother Frank, who in the movie you only really see during the beginning. But he's also was pretty much in the same boat. I mean, he was fought in the Civil War. He also rode with Quantrill and Bill Anderson during mm-hmm. the Civil War with the guerrillas. And they're probably the... If you've ever read the book this is based on, which is the same name, mm-hmm. um, it's it's pretty much the same story. But one thing they admit in this movie is the North Northfield Bank robbery, which was in Minnesota in 1876, which is five years before this. And they went to a bank in Northfield, Minnesota at that time, and they were 
they wanted to get into the safe. The bank teller refused to let him. And eventually they started beating him. And eventually townsfolk around the area started realizing what was going on. They started gathering up arms because there was no guarantee their money in that bank would be insured. So if the James Younger game took all that money, they would lose it all. Yep. And they would not get it back. So people took up arms against them and it ran in a shootout. Two members of the gang were killed. Everyone else went on the run. Um, the young, All the Youngers, one of them was, were all in prison for life. Um, a couple other members of the gang were also killed during the chase. Um, but before speaking, it's never known who the identity of this person was who did it. But the person they were beating up and torturing, the bank teller, right before they were about to escape, one of them pulls out a gun and shoots him in the head right as they're about to leave. Even though many people believe that's Frank James. Yeah. Uh, but only the James boys were able to escape. And if you read a book, it was called Shot All the Hell, which is about all that. Um, they talk about how inept the law enforcement was. Like there were tactics they used that were just stupid that almost let them get away practically. Yeah. So, but that's why in this one, like he's using different people because the James Younger game by this time was broken up. But yes, it was just if you, you read about Jesse James, the man had no compassion, uh, yeah. passion for anybody but himself. He did. He supposedly maybe went after these people because they were pro union, but. It was that myth was really yeah. romanticized by Confederate press. Yeah. And they saw him as this great hero, even though he was doing it for himself and he would not hesitate to murder you if you. Yeah. I, I think there, that press uh, did project those kinds of uh, uh, motives onto the man, and the man himself actually didn't have them. He was, I think you're, you're correct, completely self interested, narcissistic. Um, and he might have even taken advantage of, advantage of that kind of press to some extent to, uh, as it were, lay some protection down for him and local populace when he would when we, he would do these things. But I, I think the film does a good job of portraying his cold calculation when it comes to whether or not he feels that he needs to kill other characters in order to protect himself. And there does not ever seem to be a glimmer of conscience in his eyes when he does this the, the several times he does in the film um it's interesting that later in the film when he uh he has some second thoughts about how cruelly he had been teasing bob right when bob mm -hmm. and, and charles are living with him and his family uh he gives bob a new weapon and it raises the question in my mind as I'm watching this, uh, is this a glimmer of humanity in this mm -hmm. character? Um, it might be. I mean, it's very slight. I mean, the only the only other time you... I mean, every other interaction he has, and in fact, most of the interactions he has with Bob as well in this film, you can see him calculating and trying to figure out if there is a threat level he needs to be concerned with. And he asks questions and, and, and guides the dialogue in ways that will allow him to probe to see if he has, to, he has good reason to be paranoid. He's never at ease with anybody except his own wife and his two kids. That seems consistent all the way through the film, with the exception of that one scene with Bob and the gun. And, and it's interesting because looking at him, looking at 
the other characters who are all criminals having to live underground, having to just for purposes of uh, uh, self-preservation be paranoid, including Bob. Um, it, it raises to mind something very interesting that um, uh, Plato brings up in the Republic in regard to what he calls tyranny and tyrants. He says these guys, um, in a way, uh, um, operate extra legally or at least extra morally beyond morality. And the price they pay for doing so is this constant vigilance, this constant paranoia with regard to other people. And it ends up being the case, he says, that, uh, and this is a good reason not to live this way, uh, it ends up being the case that um, uh, over time there is not even, to use the phrase, honor among thieves. Uh, it is literally, it, it generally will devolve into a kind of a Hobbesian war of all against all, or at least the criminal against the criminal. And that's what we see happen in this film. Uh, Bob never really rejoins the larger society that does have concern for legality and morality. He's always an outsider. And partially that's because of the mythology that grew up around James, but also I think it's partially, partially due to the very well-earned reputation of being somebody you cannot possibly trust. And again, that comes out of that criminal element as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, once you make that kind of a choice, uh, uh, even though in the short term it, it might give you the benefits that um, we see it does give Jesse and his gang. They, they make a lot of money typically in their robberies, but in the long run, that's the price you pay. Yeah. I think one of the things interesting it, they do in the movie is it also, when it's creating this mythology of somebody like a Jesse James, it also points the finger at us at the and also the media. Because around the same time, you were... Speaking of outlaws, you had Billy the Kid. And just a few, like a decade or so later, you had Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And we still see those characters in today. Now, Billy the Kid was not really involved in the Civil War. He was probably too young at that time. But also his story, you know, some people might even be able to sympathize with his story as far as corrupt lawmen. But, you know, he was still killed a lot. Had no qualms about killing people if he was in their way. Yes, And, you know, even... This was about maybe 60 years later, but, you know, the Bonnie and Clyde and how that famous that movie was. And, yes. you know, that you could some people criticize that film for romanticizing them. Yes. And you know, I have to agree with that. I, I always had trouble with that film for that reason. Yes. And you see all that. And then also one of the things I thought was interesting, 1881 was also the year of the assassination of President Garfield. And how much people, I forget the name of the guy that shot him, but how much, thing is, you would, if you were alive at that time, you would know that name. And that's something that still happens today when there's somebody who tries to gun down somebody famous, you're going to know that person. Name. If I tell you who is Mark David Chapman, everybody's going to know who that yes. is. Yeah. If I tell you who John Hinckley Jr. is, you're going to know who that person is. And it's, you shouldn't, like the, and we still see that even people who commit mass shootings there's still constant reportings of these people's names. And there's a reason why I think Ford almost was looking forward to doing that because he wanted that fame and notoriety. Yes, yes. and he he always wanted it. Mm -hmm. He always wanted it. And he wanted to be 
the film, interestingly, uh, portrays it this way. He, he actually wanted to be in that one scene I'll talk about here, wanted to be in the place of Jesse James. When they go to, when his family, uh, and Charles go to church and Jesse or Robert's left, left behind at the house, you, you, the narrator. And they show you while he's narrating this, um, says, you know, he walked, he walked around the house. He looked at the wardrobe that Jesse wore. He laid he in the bed that Jesse, his finger. yeah, he, he, he bent his middle finger to kind of imagine that he had the same missing finger. He feels his chest for a scar that Jesse had, you know, and you get that very strong impression all the way through this. He's a young, impressionable youth at the beginning of this film. And he just wants that same celebrity. And he just wants that same fame. Uh, his motivations in eventually uh, killing Jesse James are not, not in any way motivated by a, a sense of justice. Um, if he was, in fact, in, motivated by a sense of justice, he certainly could have... Uh, uh, after Jesse had laid those firearms down and basically rendered himself defenseless, he and Charles could have, in, in effect, arrested him and, and taken him to the authorities. That thought doesn't even arise. And it's because he wants that fame. And you see it in the follow-on events, which are factual. Um, you're right. He, he They toured theaters, at least in Manhattan. It might have been other places. Um, reenacting the scene. Uh, oddly, with Charles being Jesse, and toward the end of that run, you see Charles slowly being more and more uh, repulsed by what they did, because I think he saw it as a kind of a betrayal. And because he does, he starts to take on the mannerisms and speech patterns of Jesse as he plays the role, um, and then eventually kills himself, right? And Maybe toward the end of the film, you see Bob perhaps having second thoughts like that uh, when he has that conversation with the dance hall, uh, his girlfriend, the dance hall girl. He says he comes to uh, he has come to regret it. Partially, I think that might be because by that time he's a little older, not a great deal older. He's only in his thirties. Yeah, he's right? only thirty when he was killed. Yeah, but uh, old enough maybe maybe to have matured a little bit and, and realized that the whole celebrity culture that he had uh, kind of been sucked into from the earliest age in the end is just morally uh, uh, vacant. Yeah. You even just not even just see him, but the rest of the public, how after he gets shot, all these people are going over to the house where he lived. And especially when they keep, uh, preserve Jesse James' body, and there's all these pictures taken him because yes. they ke- they keep him in ice to preserve him, and all these people are gathering around yes. looking at him and taking pictures. And it perpetuates the cycle. It mm-hmm. perpetuates the cycle, and all of that really happened. Um, and it happened with Bonnie and Clyde, and it happened with John Dillinger. There's this this morbid fascination with taking photographs with these uh, corpses as if they were memorabilia. And uh, um, people posing with these, getting some sort of a derivative fame from doing so. Um, that's all. That's all. I'd say still very much alive in popular culture. You, you, you can probably name examples more recently of criminal behavior or criminals that did despicable things, either in in the service of some cause and sometimes not at all, um, being idolized, put well, on T-shirts. 
inf- uh, infamous serial killer Ted Bundy was not- notorious for having women, many followings of female fans, all just because he was handsome and he was attractive looking. And yes. all these women were writing him love letters just because they thought he was attractive. And a conduit toward fame. I mean, you can even say that about, uh, if I recall correctly, uh, 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 Charles Manson had some people like that, hangers on, pen pals, as it were, women and men. Mm-hmm. And did that. Uh, so this is this points out a very troubling aspect of uh, our culture. And it, it's probably not unique to our culture. I would imagine if you went to other countries, there would be similar stories. But it's there. It's there. It's a very troubling aspect. Yeah, and since this film is um, talking about celebrity culture, I don't. I mean, it helps getting a name like this to get your film funded. But I also don't think it's any coincidence. It's a purposeful choice of yeah. Brad Pitt playing Jesse James. And like you go to almost any grocery store and you see the tabloids, you are going to see Brad Pitt's face on it about some sort of relationship he was in. At around this time, he was married to Angelina Jolie and, you know, they had that relationship and they were adopting all these kids. So this was a man who the public was enamored with as far as celebrity tabloid culture. Now, he's a good actor, and he isn't, he's not Jesse James. He, he's never <laughs> committed any crimes. But yeah, at least he's deserved his fame. But it is just like this constant. There is a people who are obsessed with him. You know, if you yeah. look at the rankings of most beautiful men in the world, he's always going to be on there. I think that's a good, a good casting choice by playing somebody who's used to that celebrity culture, who's yes. going to be used to people sticking cameras in his faces 24-7 wherever he goes. Yes, and uh, you can see Pitt's facility with dealing uh, with the public come through in the Jesse James character. And to some extent, I think the real Jesse James was also savvy <laughs> in that way, if not with the media per se, Certainly with the public. I mean, he was savvy enough to uh, uh, have, in the end, um, himself kind of elevated to that status, despite his true character. Again, another another indication of the um, self-interested, cold, and calculating, and very efficient nature of his character when it comes to serving himself. In regard to that same theme, of, I, I don't know if... It brought to my brought to mind something that uh, I was familiar with from um, my one of my hobbies is old time radio collecting. Right, the pilot episode of the radio show called Gunsmoke, which ran in the fifties and then became a television series throughout the sixties and into the seventies. But the pilot radio episode hits on this exact same theme, and it has a heck of a twist ending. Um, The title of it, unfortunately, if you find it online and you can, we'll give it away. But it is a story of a young Billy the Kid. And it provides in 30 minutes a good portrayal of this obsession with celebrity and using um, uh, uh, the fame of others, the killing of others, um, for... uh, profit and benefit and and getting uh, fame for yourself and none of the characters who later in the series are much more likable characters none of them in the, this pilot episode are likable at all because they're all quite willing to use um, the death of a criminal who had been shot by all of the people in the town 
except for Matt Dillon, are happy that this guy has been shot. They set him up to take photographs with his corpse, just like they do in this film. And Matt Dillon is disgusted with this. And a young child is brought to him who uh, his wife says is, or his mother says is, uh, uh, you know, kind of enamored with Mr. Dillon, but also the criminal that had just recently been killed. And you hear the kid saying, I want to be just like that. I want to be famous as a gunslinger and all that. And you only find out later on in the episode that little kid was Billy the Kid. Mm. Heck of a twist ending. And it made me think of that That 30 minutes captured this same obsession with um, celebrity that this film does in about two hours and 30 minutes. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. There you can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, where each episode I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at thesoundofcinema.podomatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Saying so long. Be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies.